Good evening. Hope everyone's had a good day thus far. We will be in Matthew chapter 15 this evening. So if you want to go there, <clears throat> we'll be there eventually. But it might be a few minutes before we get there. Um, I've talked about the last couple of weeks how that we perhaps were covering topics, miracles that you are uh, almost immediately familiar with. I, I don't even have to say much. You probably already knew what they were. One was the two weeks ago, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Last week was Jesus walking on water. Um, and so uh, most of you probably could have uh, taught those classes as well. Well, tonight, uh, I hope we've banked some goodwill because tonight uh, is not one that we will be uh, quite as familiar uh, f- familiar with and uh, tonight we'll be looking at uh, a couple of uh, a couple of things in the build-up to it uh, we'll try and stretch them out a little bit because the scripture reading is pretty thin uh, for what we have tonight also uh, on Sunday evening I'm going to be preaching about uh, the woman at the well tonight we're also talking about a woman so if I get my stories mixed up y'all stop me and say hold on you're about three days too early uh, on that so uh, if Jesus is uh, you know, if the story gets confused, uh, I'll try to, we'll try to not let that happen uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to start tonight uh, with a bit of information, uh, but I want to start first about the title that we have this evening. Um, this title uh, is what I went with, uh, Jesus Hills, the Canaanite woman's uh, daughter. Um, you may hear this uh, referred to as what my paper says. The Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Uh, I'm sure all of us have spent a lot of time thinking about Syrophoenician. Uh, where is Phoenicia? We're going to talk about that here in a few minutes uh, as well. And then that extra long scripture reading uh, that, uh, that, that Dad gave there just a few moments ago. We'll, we'll come back to that as well. It's probably odd to read 13 verses out of 1 Kings and say, how's this going to relate to uh, a miracle discussion? But we'll, we'll get to all of that uh, here as well. When I got the lesson ready, I, told, I texted Dad, because I always text Dad and tell him that everything's ready and all that. Um, but I texted him and said, I, I need you to do the reading because I didn't want him to just randomly pluck somebody out and they got to go up there and read, you know, paragraph upon paragraph. So I want to make sure uh, that, that we were looking out uh, for that as well. But anyway... We're talking about uh, the healing of this, uh, of this woman's daughter. This is in uh, Matthew chapter 15. It's also in Mark chapter 7. It's almost, the, uh, it's almost word for word the exact same story. Now I'm going to talk first of all tonight about where this takes place. Where is this story happening? Um, and I have a map here that may do a little bit for you. We've spent a lot of time talking about the Sea of Galilee. And so we're going to be north of that uh, here this evening. But it says here in the reading, what we'll read in Matthew chapter 15, that Jesus went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. Okay? Now, those are names of cities. Um, and you can see they're both right here on the water. Um, those, when we use the word city today, we have a tendency to think about a clearly defined border. Some of you p- drove in tonight and you saw a sign that said Stanford City Limits. You may have even seen a Lincoln County Limits. Well, when we think about these cities, um, 
the word city-state is a Greek term, but that's really what these were. So they expanded out. So I don't know that it's necessarily clear to say that Jesus was all the way up here. I know that map shows that. There's some a little bit of debate as to exactly where it was. It doesn't really matter too much for it, but just goes to show that those are the two places uh, in the general area where they were. They were cities of a place called Phoenicia, okay? Uh, and Phoenicians were the people. How many of you are familiar with Phoenicia or Phoenicians? How many of you are hearing this kind of for the first time? Like, uh, I'm sure I've probably heard this, but I don't really, that's fine. That, that's absolutely fine. So we're about half and half uh, in the area. Well, where this was, was it was north of Israel. Okay? It was north of Israel. So almost all of our Jesus stories are taking place around the Sea of Galilee. Here's Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown. If we drop down below the map, you get down toward where Jerusalem is and where Bethlehem is, and then even further down into Egypt. And so we're actually to the north of that area right there. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But a Gentile woman from this region will come to him and begs him to heal her daughter. And I'm going to use the word beg here because I think this is the one time that we really see it almost is a begging. So I want you to think about begging for just a second. What does it mean to you to beg for something? Desperately pleading, Desperately pleading okay? Okay. It's a, it's a step beyond maybe just sort of asking, right? You know, you think about something that you might have wanted when you were younger. You might have asked your parents for it. But there's a difference between asking and obeying, right? And there's a little difference. And we'll see that with this woman uh, here this evening. I think it will show that it was very much begging. Now, just a few things about this, though, because I'm going to talk more about, we'll get to the miracle in a second, but we'll talk a little bit more about where this takes place. First of all, the country of Phoenicia is a long, narrow strip of land bounded on the east by the Lebanon mountain range and on the west by the Mediterranean Sea. It is the modern-day country of Lebanon for a little bit. Does that do anything for you? Well, in 1988, there was a marine barracks in Beirut that blew up, uh, as some of you may remember that. That's a little before uh, something. Not Josh, me and you, that's a little before us. But I remember reading about it, but some of you may remember that happening. Well, it, it took place in the modern country of Lebanon. Not Lebanon in Marion County. Some of y'all may be more familiar with that Lebanon uh, than the one uh, that we're talking about here. We call the country that Lebanon today, but it was not what it was called. It was the Phoenicians that were there. It was interesting to read how big of land was Phoenicia. Well, I was looking at this, and it says, let's see, I got it written down here. It has been described as somewhere between 25 to 160 miles long and somewhere between 1 and 30 miles wide. So basically, I don't know. <laughs> right? But we think about countries today in a sort of state with physical boundaries. You know, there's a river here and there's a line here. That's not the idea of a country the way we use the word country today is not the way the word country was used back then. But it was stretching along here. But what is important 
These people were famous seafarers, seamen. Anybody who lived near water was going to most likely be that. But their ships sailed all over the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so there may be some places here that you are familiar with. We see on the third bullet point, they had colonies as far west as Spain. Okay, I'm guessing all of us are familiar with Spain, but guys, this is a long stretch. You have to be pretty adept at seafaring to be able to rule an area that far. Uh, Carthage in North Africa, it's a, a, pretty close to uh, Tripoli uh, is the town, uh, from, you may even know the Marine Corps song, I think it is, from the halls of Monsters, went to the shores of, is it Tripoli, is that right? And Tripoli is down here just a little bit, but it's in that general area. Hannibal was the, uh, the general who led elephants over the Alps. They were from Carthage, but that's a whole different story. But in New Testament times, they were prosperous, but much like everyone else, they were under the control of Rome. And Rome had a somewhat live and let live type of attitude with a lot of their areas. As long as their colonies of Rome made money, they were usually pretty happy. What they weren't happy with was trying to rise up and overthrow. That's why Jesus was a threat to Rome, was his, the people viewed him as a king, and Rome didn't like to hear the word king tossed about because they had an emperor there as well. So I show you this to show that this, where this story has taken place there's a lot of connections here. Now, I want you to see this as well because Jesus is going to, going to work, I guess word would be a miracle, in this general area. But whenever you see something impressive, whenever you see something unique, whenever you see something you've never seen before, you usually tell somebody, right? Lucille, how long does it take you and Annette and Linda and Shorty to call each other whenever you find out some news? A few seconds, right? You gotta hurry up and call, and then you gotta hurry up to the next. It's gotta run its way down. Well, I want you to look at these red lines. Consider those red lines telephone lines between the Rice sisters, all right? Once something happens here, guess where that information is gonna go? Where's that information gonna go? It's gonna go all over. And so this miracle, which will involve a limited amount of people, will spread wide. So when we think about, today, we think today we'll pick up a phone and call somebody and that information goes quickly. But even back then, news traveled fast. And this was an area where news would travel quite. Anybody that anything gets on a ship, you're going to take it to somewhere else. Now, will the story maybe get distorted? Perhaps so. But it's going to travel across this way. Okay? Now, we read in 1 Kings chapter 5. And if you were paying attention and reading along with that was the story of Solomon sort of prepping to build the temple. But Solomon got cedars, wood, to help build the temple. And it really wasn't Solomon, but it was David. It was King Hiram from Phoenicia, uh, what we would call a day Lebanon. He had such a strong opinion of David that he will help out for it. Cedar trees of Lebanon were a profitable item for the Phoenicians. Anybody have anything made of cedar at home? Sometimes chests or drawers or shelves or something like that. Still make them. And so this is an example of a cedar tree. Uh, you would still find them there. This is the, the flag of modern day uh, Lebanon. And it has a cedar tree on the, coat, on the front of it. These trees are starting to go away. They're, they're, they're losing them uh, in that area. But in the 10th 
Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Look, I got to try. We got to milk this time to 7 o'clock, and this lesson's only got four verses in it. So we got to hold up just a little bit. But what we read about there in the 10th century B.C., so this is, you know, this is a thousand years before uh, Jesus was born. King Hiram I of Tyre supplied Solomon with craftsmen and these timbers for the construction of the temple and the palace. So let's think about that for a second. What would it take for you to offer up a gift like this to someone else? A whole lot. A whole lot. Why do you say that? Because this is their chief import, or chief resource, and this is worth a lot of money. So, you know, this is going to be very, this is like giving millions and millions of dollars to another country. And it's not something that you really like. And this is not building a little shed out back for, you know, to, to park the mower in. This is part of, not, not the whole temple wasn't made out of this, but this is part of what the temple would be made for. And so this is a massive gift because like we said, it's a profitable item for trade. And like Ben said, you're not going to give that away. Most of those countries in the Middle East today don't give the oil away for free, right? Why do, the, why do those countries charge for oil? They want to make the money off of it, right? But this guy, this King Hiram had such a strong love for King David that he offers to build or to, to supply uh, this wood to help build the temple. Mm-hmm. It would have been a huge undertaking to A, cut it down, B, to ship it, and then have people go. So it's, you know, those people, you might have had to pay the workers to take it. This was a huge undertaking for them to be able to do it. Any other thoughts on cedar trees? And I think that shows, hopefully, we're showing like that connection between, yes. I like the part of the part that I read there, that these were the best woodworkers in the world. Yes. They had that Right. And it makes sense because they have a, you know, their, their world was sort of built on, their economy was built on this. And we've looked at pictures, and hopefully you've noticed it, these pictures that we've shown around the Sea of Galilee, pictures we've shown in Capernaum, pictures we've shown in, in Israel, that's not a tree place. Okay? It's not a place where, you know, I don't need your gift of trees if I got all kinds of trees to, to be able to build on my own. Part of the reason that early settlers came to the United States, or what would be the United States, was to access trees because they made all the ships that could out of trees that were in England and places like that. And so a lot of times, you know, whether it's the necessities of other invention or something like that, when there's a necessity, you sort of go to it. Well, Lebanon had just that. Now, this is what Boone was trying to get, you know, get the cart before the horse there just a little bit. But they're also famous for purple, okay? They developed a process for the dyeing of silk, wool, linen, and cotton fabrics. Now, if you, if, if you want to know somebody who knows a lot about silk, wool, linen, and cotton fabrics, you come to the right person. Uh, it's important for you to know that I did win the award my senior year in high school uh, for clothing management class. Uh, I, 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 I might have told that. But I like to brag about that from time to time. I did that. They really liked the catalog, but I cut pictures out of another catalog and made the catalog up. Right there. Yeah, Mr. G, I'm honest with you. 1999, senior year, we was coasting in. But they were making, they were famous for this purple uh, process. It was obtained from a murex shellfish, 
which were abundant along the Phoenician coast. That's what they are. That picture looks a little bigger, actually fairly small, uh, what they have. These snails secrete a yellowish fluid, which then makes a permanent purple dye when boiled and treated. I am fascinated by things like this. How does a yellow secretion become purple? And who messed up and figured that out? You know, one of the, like somebody's like, oh, what is this? And then later it turns purple right there. 250,000 of these shellfish were required to produce one ounce of the dye. Now think about that for just a second. 250,000 to produce one ounce of it. So obviously they're going to be pretty small if you've got to have 250,000 of it. But that is a massive, massive amount. How much that it took right there. Yeah. It was fascinating. I mean, you know, it, it, Maria's daughter, where she can die and do all that. Yeah. She may be one of the better get a You better get a bigger vehicle to load up them shells. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, because of that, though, I mean, there's a limited amount of shells, and because it takes 250000 to just make one ounce, what's that going to do to the price of purple dye? So I think what we see right here, it was expensive, so only the wealthiest of royalty could afford it. Why do you think purple is considered a wealthy color? I think, was it Lydia in the Bible, who was described as a dire uh, seller of purple uh, in that as well? And so the point of this is to show that this is a place that, kind of a money-making place, okay? They've got a whole lot of shipping here and there. They've got all of this purple that they're making for royalty. And they're also uh, shipping out trees. They can afford to send, you know, lumber without any cost for it. This is a wealthy place. But the point of this is to show that even in an area where things are really good, there can still be things really bad. And that's what we're going to look at here this evening. Oh, one other thing here. They also, well, I guess I'll tack, tack this on as well. I forgot to, about this. The Phoenician alphabet uh, was used first used in 1000 B.C., and it became one of the most important exports of the Phoenicians due to their maritime trade. It's not really an alphabet. It's actually called an abjad, which replaces, uh, doesn't have consonants in it. Hebrew, old Hebrew, it was like that as well. Uh, that's why when we see like Yahweh written out, there's no A and there's no E. Yahweh, the word group, the Hebrew word for God, Y-H-W-H in part because it was not a written language that had, uh, that had, vowels in it there as well. And so Greek, Latin, and eventually English will derive from that. As you can see here, these are letters or symbols that would come to represent uh, that as well. We do the same thing. Uh, we have letters, and we think about what an A or a B or a C is, but it's really just a symbol uh, that's used to, try to represent some kind of sound or something like that. I went way too far into all of that here this evening. But again, Trying to, we, we, we'll get to the reading here pretty quick. Well, I, the point of this was to show, and, and it makes sense why an alphabet, a written language would derive from this. When you're trading with all sorts of places, if you don't start writing stuff down, you're going to miss out. I mean, so that's part of the reason why written language alphabet comes around. This is our picture for tonight, uh, made sometime between 1673 and 1698. Jesus and the woman of Canaan. Uh, it's at the Union Kirsch, which is Union Church uh, in Itstein, Germany. Let's go to Matthew 15. We're going to read the whole of this to start with, and then we'll look into the actual information 
after that. Matthew 15, this is verses 21 through 24. Uh, Jill, do you care to read this for us, please, dear? Sidon. All right, so there's some things to discuss here, but I want to read the back half of this as well. Matthew 15, 25 to 28. Uh, Annette, do you care to finish for us? 25 to 28. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about a few things here. We'll, we'll, you, you may want to keep your Bible there handy to be able to refer back to it uh, as well. But what does the woman call Jesus first? What, what's the name that she uses? She says in verse 21 there, I believe it is, or verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. An interesting choice of words for a woman who was a what? She was a Gentile. Okay, so... Maybe, maybe make that make sense for me. Why would a Gentile woman be referring to Jesus by a very clearly Jewish name? Right. Okay. Makes sense. Well, it'll show that she knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll see in a minute what Jesus says to her, but she might have thought perhaps as a Gentile, he might not help. So if I can kind of fake this a little bit, make it seem like I'm a Jewish person, then maybe that'll work there as well. But then I think you're right. You know, if I were to go to, if you were to drop me in the middle of Spain today, well, I don't have a whole lot of Spanish, but I'm going to be looking something up as a starting phrase for somebody. And this is a criticism Americans have all around the world is when they show up or they start speaking English and they expect you who lives in the actual country to speak English as a response to them. But she says, oh, Lord, son of David. Okay? Jesus doesn't answer her. When his disciples told him to send her away, though, what was Jesus' answer? Almost everybody there spoke Aramaic okay. in, in all in all spots. Uh, Jew, Jewish people, to, we tend to associate Hebrew, but most of the common language was Aramaic for people. Yes, you would have been more likely to have people's physical appearance would have sold them out as being Jewish or Gentile or something like that. But it, but in the tongue, maybe a little bit because of an accent. But, you know, Peter Peter runs into that. You know, when in whenever he's. Denying Jesus. Yeah. Well, I was prepared to ask everybody that their accent 
Absolutely. Yeah. If you're in, you know, if you're in New York, if you're in Florida, if you're in Texas or here, that language gives that away just a little bit. I want to go back to that first question, though. What was also uh, what what was the problem? Why is this woman approaching Jesus? She says that her daughter was severely demon possessed. Okay. And so how does Jesus respond to her? First of all, he doesn't answer. When his disciples told him, they said, send her away. How does Jesus respond? 23 and 24. Okay. What does that mean? Okay. Right. Absolutely. We've seen this a little bit, though, because when they went across the Sea of Galilee, they saw the man who was demon-possessed, and he was, we, we kind of made clear that was the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, and he healed them. But that's not really the main task that Jesus uh, was, was, supposed to be, uh, was supposed to be doing. So Jesus' response there is, is, in a sense, what he's almost saying is, well, I'm really not supposed to help. So what does the woman then do in verse 25? So in verse 25, if you read that, my Bible, New King James says, then she came and worshipped him, okay, worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. I've even got an exclamation mark after help me right there. So when you speak, when you have an exclamation mark, what does that mean? Put some emphasis. There's some, and there's a little more behind. You're not yelling per se, but kind of a like. I need to get my voice across right here. Okay. I, I I used the word earlier today, begging. Do you sense a begging in this woman's tone here? And that's what worship means. Worship means you bow down and kiss. The right. So it's to be like her bowing down at his feet, kissing his feet, just begging, like the woman that. Right. That's what the word worship really means. Right. Right. So it's 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 sort of a protracted or a sort of you know extended ask, for lack of a better way of describing what it is there. Yes. And we've seen that when people have approached Jesus on some of these other miracles that they have asked and it's the approach has been different for different people sometimes it's like I wish if you could come and heal you know but this is almost a yeah we gotta do this right now and, and I don't know that she knows this but we don't see Jesus in the area of the Phoenicians too often in the Bible you know this, this is not you know every story we've told so far uh, over the last few weeks to see Galilee. Galilee here, Galilee there, this side, that side. But now we're in an area that we've not, but I don't know that Jesus has been to this place before. This may be a one-time only. Yes. And you know, she was begging too, I guess, in the sense that she didn't kind of think they know who he was in the sense like, you know, they know that the Jewish people are religious people. Uh-huh. And the Gentiles weren't, so this like they said, our last chance. So what better chance to do than to go to these people that Right. Right. And I think too, uh, you, what you're you sort of inadvertently said there too is that word has spread 
you know, this is an area that Jesus was not in, but this woman knows uh, of it. So, sure, won't take long. Absolutely. So, what does then Jesus tell the woman in Matthew chapter fifteen and verse twenty-six? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. It wasn't used that way. Right. It's still used that way in Arizona. Jesus is saying, This is God's children. You're not His children. Right. It's like a little puppy dog. You might be the pet, but you're not the child. Right. And I can't starve my child to give these food. I, what you see here on the screen, I copied this down. Uh, so this is not my word. This is kind of a paragraph descriptor of what Jesus says right there. But the children in this verse is what Ben said are the Jews. God shows people. The dogs are for the Gentiles. Jesus states here the divine plan that his mission while on earth was to preach to the Jews. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Jesus ascends to heaven, the gospel is then preached to the whole world, both Jew and Gentile right here. And so what Jesus is really saying in verse 26 is, is there's a delineation, there's a divide between who the chosen people were. The unfortunate thing was those chosen people that Jesus came to preach to, what did a lot of them say to Rejected, they were not interested, and so then the Great Commission, which you read at the end of Matthew and Mark and Luke, you'll see the God, the apostles go out into all the world. Uh, there's no def, no there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. The Bible says right there, but rather go and preach to all. And so it's this woman asks again, and Jesus responds, "How." How did Jesus respond? Okay, we'll see that here in just a second. What is the woman's answer to Jesus when he says that? Because Jesus clearly said, you are not of the chosen people. What is, how does she respond? Absolutely, she is. What did you say, Ben? She missed that she is enough. Yes. We are too easily offended. Uh-huh. Right. But Jesus, I think, is trying to draw this faith out. He knows uh-huh. what she's going to say. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to heal the dog. You're, he's trying to draw it out. Absolutely. And so what we think about that, you know, we're, we're going to feed our child first, and then we're going to feed the pet. But we're still going to feed the pet, you know. We're going to feed that pet. That's what she's saying. Was like, it's almost like, well, I don't have to have all of it, but I'd like to have, as she said in verse 27, the crumbs uh, uh, of that right there, uh, which fall from their master's table. Yes, dad first. Mm-hmm. So, and they were they were the promised seed, and so they were going to get it first. But I can see the the, the reason behind. It. Sure. You can't just go. You know, say I'm going to become a preacher, and I'm going to preach in Canada, and Lebanon, and China. You can't. You got right. you got to zone in to a place. Sure. And say, I want to preach there first. You know. Absolutely. So, you know, maybe we can expand, but like us here at the church, we can't send every missionary in the world a dollar. Right. We don't want to help anybody. Right. So we can't work with. Sure. Josh. I think this is kind of a good example to compare with Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, we have opportunity to do good, to do it to the household, do it to all of them, especially the household of faith. Here, Jesus is like Sheldon saying, He's to give it to the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people first, 
but then he's also dealt with all people too. It's kind of, I guess this might be the way he starts to branch into it and say, here, we're going to have you too as well. So let's look then at that because Tom answered this just a second ago. What does Jesus then say to the woman as this conversation expands a little bit? What does he say to her in verse 28? O woman, great is your faith. Then what? Let it be as uh, to you as you desire. In a sense, what he's saying right there is, I'm going to give you what you want. What does she want? What does she come and ask for? Her daughter. And we read in verse 28, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30 is where this is uh, in the Mark version of it right there. Uh, And it says, uh, let's see. And when she'd come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying in the bed. And so whenever she had, Matthew doesn't tell that, but Mark says when she gets home, she realizes that her daughter was healed. Uh, exactly what it was. Um, I think this is another example of Jesus showing the inflexibility of the low law and the grace that exists within the new law. By law, Jesus has done wrong here. Okay, And what I mean by that is Jesus was told to go preach and teach the Jewish people. Now, there are people in our lives, there are people that you know that would not bend from that rule one bit. And that's, that's in everyday life. Okay? You know, I, I grew up with a sister who was not a rule bender at all. You know, mom said, y'all need to do this at 1030. That, we're going to do it at 1030 was what it was. I was 930 to 145. Anywhere in between is probably good for me right there. But, Jesus here realizes that, as Ben said a moment ago, this woman was in a desperate state, but he also kind of pulls that faith out of her just a little bit. It's like he talks with her, and then she talks back, and then he talks. You know, the, the, he realizes what she was genuinely asking, and that grace that existed there was to help her in her time of need. Well, nobody in here is Jewish. Does that grace still extend to us today? Of course. And that's where I think we see a difference uh, in the old law and in what Jesus brought. And Jesus would be condemned for this by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. They would fuss at him for healing on the Sabbath day. We've seen all of this over this little bit. But his law, he superseded any other written law that was there. Ben, you can ask Ben. He'll probably know the answer more than me anyways. Do you think that when Jesus, you know, when he says to the Gentiles and they went back, that it was almost too like the way that they could go and start talking about Jesus that way when his apostles and his followers come, they've already got a leg up. So I know that you're not always here on Wednesday night. And we talked about that a few weeks ago when they were on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee when they healed the man. Uh, and the man asked Jesus, can I come with you? Can I, can I go with you? Will you go and do this or that? And Jesus said no. He said, hey, I need you to go to your house and tell them what that. Which is rare because Jesus most of the time tells the people what? You want to take up your cross. But a lot of times when they wanted to tell it, Jesus was saying what? Don't tell. But he's in an area, another way, and we came to the conclusion that night, we think that's what it was. 
that was a way to sort of <clears throat> a leg up on the gospel to the Gentiles. And I think that's what you're, what you're saying right here. The same thing happens here. Sort of a, where do you think this story went? After, because Jesus went this way, but I can pull that map back up and I can imagine that that woman told other people and they told other people and then on those boats going to Spain, so they say that Paul went to Spain Um, the Bible doesn't go into that but that's sort of a traditional thing but when Paul went to Spain was the teaching of Jesus already there probably because of the Phoenicians and this woman amongst other things go ahead mom to that as well. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Right. Um, let's take a few things to go home with. First of all, these are going to be pretty straightforward, but be humble. All right. Uh, this woman remained humble when she was rejected, right? She was told no to start with. Ben talked a little bit about that, not the immediate response to just being offended. She could have fussed at Jesus. She could have yelled at Jesus. They could have been a scene right there. But she doesn't become defensive. Uh, She was respectful even after the initial no. But she does follow up. Like when Jesus says essentially no, she follows up uh, with that uh, as well. She continued in worship uh, because she realized who Jesus was. And we have to be the same way. Uh, Our best example of this is probably when we go to God in prayer. And we ask for something, and we don't get it, or we don't get it the way that we don't. And it's easy to fall into this. Why ask you for that? What you know? We can fall into that really quick. She was bold in faith. We addressed that there. She didn't just accept no for the answer. She was rejected. She needed help. She knew Jesus could help her, and so that's what she did. She persisted with that. She was desperate for her help right there. We need to be bold in our faith as well. We have to be asking, as long as the motives are pure, obviously, but we need to approach in the same way. And third, Boo hit on this. You all did a good job of taking my lessons to leave with tonight uh, from there. But don't judge by exteriors, right? 
We know on the exterior is what it looks like on the outside, right? Well, Jesus didn't judge by the nationality, by the race, by the religious criteria. Dad asked that question a minute ago. How would they have known? And Josh said, well, you know, the, 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 the accent probably would have given away. But there's any number of things when you look at somebody or when you talk to somebody, you get a sense of where maybe they're from. But sometimes you write a whole book about them and you don't really know anything. You just write a book about what they've seen right there. At the beginning of this conversation, Jesus is sticking to his main purpose. But he wasn't judging her for being a Gentile. He was outlining his purpose. But he also recognized the faith that she had. I mean, we, we read in another story, I haven't seen no great, greater faith, this great a faith in all of Israel. Well, that's not what he says here, but there's some similarities to that sentence right there. We have, as Boo was saying, a natural tendency to make all sorts of judgments before we've ever even, before we've even spoken right there. But God doesn't look at that outward appearance, right? Where does God look? At the heart. And if you cut open every person in every part of the world, no matter what their background, no matter what their skin color, no matter what their religion, the heart's going to look the exact same. That's the physical heart. But the spiritual heart is the same way. The Bible says we're made after God's image, right? And so that's what Jesus, that's what we're going to be judged on. And so we can't judge those exteriors without sort of drilling down because I would hope that God, when he judges me, is going to judge, drill down as well, not by exteriors because I'm not going to pass if it's by the exterior. Any other comments before we go home this evening? What's that? I never understood this verse. Uh-huh. Well, what, what, we, what, we hoped, what we hoped for. Like I said, I had a few different things to throw out there tonight because I knew our time was a little, uh, was a little short. So you learned about purple. You learned about alphabets. You learned about cedar trees. You saw what the flag of Lebanon looks like. You learned that it's not pronounced like the city of Miriam. You learned all of that tonight. All of that will be on the test Sunday, so make sure you're ready uh, for it when we, when we come in. Debbie, you got that test on Sunday. Be ready, all right? <laughs> um, but thank you uh, for that.